politics, culture, chaos. It's time to make sense of it all. It's time to have a little fun. This is your afternoon dose of sanity. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. I tell you what, what an exciting day today listening to the arguments before the United States Supreme Court on potentially now overturning Roe v. Wade. Really, Casey, but Roe v. Wade. I'm fascinating arguments. And I'll tell you what, the conservative justices, they really went after this issue of precedence. And comparing it to Dred Scott, I mean, it was beautiful. And of course, Fauci came out a short time ago. That's why, starting a little bit later today, they had a big press conference because Omicron is now in the United States of America. <gasps> Omicron. Good afternoon. Welcome to the podcast. We'll be having a great day today. So let me give you, first of all, an overview of the oral arguments today of the Supreme Court. And I listened to all of it. It was, it was, it was fascinating today. <clears throat> the argument that the, that the liberal justices are presenting basically goes as follows, right? Uh, if we overturn Roe v. Wade, people will be mad at us and they won't like us because this is really popular with half the country. And we shouldn't, we shouldn't do that because people will be, will be mad. That's kind of their argument. And the argument from the conservative justices kind of goes like this. Ready? Number one, the line of viability changes because of science. The whole notion of the argument of of what these these two ridiculous decisions in Roe v. Wade and Casey v. Planned Parenthood is essentially now, which is, by the way, Casey as in the lesser Casey's father, uh, the former governor of Pennsylvania, who didn't want to fund Planned uh, Planned Parenthood. And he was actually pro-life, unlike his son, who's a who's a who's a fraud. Anyway, so the the notion of what's called a line of viability, right? So Roe v. Wade crafts these three tri- the, the three trimester rule, which the the justice who wrote that admitted he's just kind of pulling it out of thin air. You know what I mean? He admitted that. Then they come up with this thing called the line of viability, wherever that line of viability is, twenty weeks, right? But the point that Mississippi's making in this is that 15 weeks is really now where the line is because you have advances in medicine and technology and changes. And so the line of viability changes accordingly. And when that happens, based on what the court decision is, you can't do anything about it. So you could be killing people. Look, I define them as people, but for the purposes of the law, I'm just, you know, it's just using the, 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 the example of what the court cases, right? You could be killing viable human beings because the line of viability has changed thanks to advances in medicine and science, which is something that I've long argued. You know, you can't use the same science from 1973 or 1992 and turn around and expect that in the year 2021 or in 2025 or 2045, things are going to be the same. So that's, that's a very key point of this too. The other point was what is the interest of the party at stake, right? So the, the, the question becomes this. A woman wants to have an abortion. What is her interest here? Her interest is in having it. But what's the interest of the fetus as defined under the law? Uh, it's to survive. It's to live. And, and this is a great point because the one thing that the conservative justices did a great job of backing the liberal justices into is, is a corner and saying, well, if, if, if the goal of these two previous cases was to try to split the middle and make everybody unhappy, but everybody a little bit happy because you drew this line of viability. But really, from the fetus's perspective, again, as the definition is under the law, 
for the purposes of this argument, that's not, he's not going to be happy. She's not going to be happy because she's, she wants to live as any other entity that is alive wants to live. So you, you cannot respect the interests of the baby if you allow abortion to occur at any point. And, and that's, that's, that, there's no argument about that. I mean, you could be pro-life, you could be pro-choice. It doesn't, it, as one of the conservative justices pointed out, you have to admit that there's no way you can solve for that philosophical problem of there's nothing you can do to satisfy the interests of the unborn child, right? Because it just wants to live. That's it's what it does. It's what it wants to do. It for the purposes of not picking a gender, because obviously that won't come until it's assigned a gender when it's born, apparently. So, I, you know, it's a crazy nuttiness of language today. Anyway, that was a really, I thought, very strong philosophical point. Because the way I would argue it is this. Government has a fundamental right to protect life and liberty. And my interest as a person is, it, and, and the law has to respect my interest to live my life without somebody hurting me, taking away my stuff, right? Well, doesn't a doesn't a baby have the same privilege of life to be able to feel that way too whether it's 15 weeks old or it's five five weeks in in the that's really the question here and the left acts like there's just a point where you turn on a light bulb and it just suddenly now has rights and the argument that was pushed by i think it was really justice clarence thomas was well so what happens five minutes before that it doesn't have rights and then all of a sudden it just does Here's the other point, too, which I think is, is very, very important to think about. Precedent. Sorry, decisis. You heard a lot about this today if you were listening to. Sorry, decisis over and over and over again. The idea that whatever the court has decided in the past is sacred, and you cannot overturn that. You cannot overturn it without really, really good reason. One of the points that was brought up today by Justice Alito, which I thought was brilliant, was this. What about Plessy? Plessy v. Ferguson. What about that very, very infamous Dred Scott decision? What about the times where the court got it really wrong and then overturned stare decisis, over, overturned precedent because they got it wrong? In the moment they got it wrong, they knew it. So the challenge that was leveled today against the people who were defending abortion was basically like this. If... if if when Plessy v. Ferguson was decided, which is the, the idea that separate but equal is okay, and nothing had changed in the law, in the country, would you agree that a similar court should have struck down the idea of separate but equal? And they really boxed in, I think, the pro-abortion attorney because she had nowhere to go on that. See, the whole argument is unless something changes, the precedent has to stand. But the, the point that justices were making was things didn't change in the idea of separate but equal for you know, 60 years. So are you saying that another court, say in 1897, should have affirmed the idea of separate but equal? And of course, no lawyer is ever going to say that, right? No lawyer is ever going to stand up and say, yes, they should have upheld Plessy v. Ferguson. Because if you say that, you're admitting that you think that government-sponsored uh, discrimination and segregation is okay. So no one's ever going to say that. So that's the ultimate trap there, which was fantastic. Because you, you, you so, and then this is really how you lay it out, right? You're saying precedent is the law of the land. But 
when the Supreme Court ruled that separate but equal was constitutional, do you agree that was a horrible decision? Yes, I do, Your Honor. Yes, I do, Justice. Okay, should another court have overturned it? Yes. But what if nothing else had changed in America? Because really, quite frankly, the South was benefiting from separate but equal, as Justice Alito did a very wonderful job of pointing out. The South was benefiting from it, so nothing changed. Do you think a court should have overturned it anyway? And of course, the lawyer has to say yes. How could she not? Who, who in their right mind would think the answer to that would be no? You just have to acknowledge then that the first court got it wrong. The first court got it wrong. It was a horrible decision and they got it wrong. Just like Plessy or Jed Scott, where they said that a, that a, that a, a freed slave had to be returned to his master. Same thing. They got it wrong. Just admit they got it wrong and just then be able to throw it out. I would argue Korematsu is the same thing. The Japanese internment camps. They got it wrong. So instead of trying to twist yourself in knots to justify why things have changed and now overrule that decision, the argument is just overrule a bad decision. Overrule a bad decision. Because Roe was a bad decision. Roe v. Wade was a terrible decision because they wrote law from the bench. And they did the exact same thing in Casey with this notion of a line of viability. So they wrote law, they created law from the bench, which you're never supposed to do. And what the defenders of abortion law keep doing, they keep going back to this point of trying to argue that it's precedent and therefore you can't touch it. Can't touch it, precedent. It's precedent, therefore you can't touch it. And there's so many cases where the Supreme Court just got it abysmally wrong. So why would you think for a moment that it would be okay to say that those laws were okay just simply because a court ruled on them. Just because a court ruled on them. And what I also loved too was Brett Kavanaugh did a fantastic job today. He really did. Brett Kavanaugh did a great job today. And he also pointed out some of the inconsistencies with the argument of those today who were arguing for abortion. But when you point out those horrible cases, when you point out those horrible cases and you think to the the court, would you affirm those cases? Would, would you would you affirm those? No? Why not? What if nothing changed, but you know it was just a horrible decision? And then you get them on record to admit, yeah, you know what? You, ha- you, had, to, you had to overturn it. Even if nothing else changed, it was just a bad decision. It opens up the chance now to overturn Roe and overturn Casey. That's really what it is. That was the brilliant part of this. The other point, too was the notion of when a fetus under the law becomes a baby under the law. Now, in my mind, this is an easy question. I think it's always a baby. That's how I view it. But the law is different. So that question is a complicated one, obviously, from a legal perspective, a philosophical perspective, a moral perspective, and all these other perspectives. So the point that Brett Kavanaugh made today was, isn't it better to let legislatures figure this out versus the court? It's a complicated question. When does a fetus become a baby? When does that life begin? You may have the opinion of uh, conception. You may have the opinion of birth. You may have the opinion of 18 years old. The point is, why does the court get to decide? What gives the court the ability to have the moral superiority to decide such a complex religious, moral, philosophical, medical question? Knowing that medicine changes, science changes. I mean, there's a scientific element to this, which, of course, is that famous line of viability. If at 
15 weeks, a baby is viable outside of the womb under the line of viability. It has to be protected under the law. That baby has to be protected under the law. That's the line of viability. What they're arguing about today is where that line is. And that's the point. Why should the court get to decide that line? Isn't that fundamental question of how you balance the interests of the 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 birthing person? Because I don't think you can say mother anymore. I believe now that's illegal. I think that's the one thing that can't be overturned by precedent. How do you balance the rights of the birthing person and the rights of the baby? How do you balance those two? When the baby is still under the eyes of the law, merely a fetus. How do you balance those interests? Because they both have separate interests in that case. If, if, if she's going for an abortion, the interest of the fetus, again, definition of the law, at that moment is a totally different interest than her interest, which is to get rid of it, to kill it. That, the interest of the baby is to survive, obviously. So how do you balance that? How does a court balance that? Isn't it better to let legislatures decide that? Isn't it better to let them figure it out? Isn't it better to let them grapple with these complex questions, which are going to, where the answers could theoretically change as science evolves, as medicine evolves, as technology evolves. And the answer that the abortion lawyers gave today was basically, no, because we have to make sure that it's, it's covered everywhere we go across America. And that uh, the cost of, uh, and this is where some of the liberal justices, uh, Sotomayor in particular, got very, very political when she started to go on about the, the, the cost of, of, of uh, con- contraception and how women can't afford contraception, they don't have access to it, and so uh, sometimes they have to have an abortion and they can't find, then if some state, if one state bans it, then they might have to drive and they can't afford to drive there and they can't afford the gas in the car, which she's not wrong on that point, given Biden's economy. On that point, she She's probably correct. The, the filling up the tank might be a little too expensive, but beyond that, it's not. That's not her place to figure that out. That's the place of a legislature to figure out, of duly elected legislatures. So, Justice Clarence Thomas, who's brilliant, obviously asked another very important question today. He said, "I'm trying to understand the constitutional question before the court today, but I don't see it in the Constitution. If this was a Second Amendment case, I could see the Second Amendment." If this was a First Amendment case about freedom of speech, I could see the First Amendment. I don't see anything in here about abortion. So how am I supposed to then grapple with this, essentially, is what he said. Now, it's important because there is no mention of the word abortion in the Constitution. So how can it be a constitutional right if it's not in the Constitution? And this is where the left turns itself into knots. Well, because you apply this, you apply that, you apply that, and then you come up with this. And Thomas's point was, yeah, but the 14th Amendment makes it pretty clear that everybody has rights and due process rights, and every person does. So how are you telling me that that person inside a womb doesn't? And this is, again, where the, where the pro-abortion lawyers, I think, tie themselves in knots because they go, because it's not a person yet. Justice is not entitled to those rights. And then that comes back to the question of, well, when does that begin? If at 1159, it's a fetus, but at 1201, it's a baby, there's a problem with that. There's a problem with that. And then it got so political to the point of when the judges or the the lawyers on behalf of the state of Mississippi argued about, for example, fetal pain, saying that doctors now can show that that babies can experience what's known as fetal pain, where you they, they will visibly move away from the devices used to perform an abortion. And it was one of the justices, I think it was Ginsburg, uh, I'm sorry, Sotomayor, not Ginsburg, obviously, dead, uh, Sotomayor, who said, well, 
just because a fringe group of doctors thinks that doesn't make it so. And also, you know, what about people who are brain dead? You know, you touch, you tickle their feet, they'll move. I, I'm, not, I'm not even kidding. That came up today in the argument. So you know where they're all ruling on this. Here's my takeaway from this. Whether or not you think it's a fetus or a baby, at what point, where it begins that is exactly the point. Because that moment of viability, as it's defined under the law, remember, there's, a, there's, a, there's many components to this. So obviously, I'm pro-life. I believe very strongly in this point. I have two children who came to our family by way of adoption on the day that they were born. I think their birth mothers are absolute heroes. And I just have nothing but respect for these women and the gift that they gave our family. And I have a baby who, I have a daughter who came to us by way of obviously natural childbirth. So from my perspective, I have my opinion, obviously, on when life begins. I have my opinion on what the interest of that fetus is, whether or not the law identifies it as a fetus or a baby at that moment. But when you put on your legal hat for a moment, right? You turn, you put on your legal hat and you say to yourself, okay, from a philosophical perspective, does the government get to make that decision or not? Does the government get to decide where the rights kick in? And that's what the court did in those two cases. The court said, if, if, it's, if it's a Monday and you're not yet at the line of viability, you don't have rights, sorry. But if the clock strikes midnight and you don't get the abortion in by the 12th stroke, well, too late, now the person gets to go free. Now it's a baby with full rights and full uh, protection under the Constitution. You, you see why that doesn't make a whole lot of sense from a philosophical perspective? These are the questions then before the court. And I think it all comes down to something that is even beyond that. And obviously you have to approach this from a secular argument. And, and, the, and the conservative justices were very, very, very smart to do so today. Because as much as you have a religious belief one way or the other, that doesn't play into what the argument before the court is, which is purely a secular legal question based on two previous Supreme Court cases. And if you want to overturn those cases, as I do, then you want to base it fully on the law. You want to base it fully on that. And the fundamental question is, can you overturn a case without proving the need to overturn it? just because it's a bad case. And then if you can't, can you overturn a case, even one that's maybe popular with a lot of people, because the basis of that, the science used at the time, has changed. I think it's very likely that they're going to rule on the side of the state of Mississippi, which is fantastic, which is a huge win for the pro-life movement. And here's why. The Chief Justice John Roberts is a very practical kind of a guy. I don't like him. Let me be clear. I am not a fan of John Roberts, but he is a practical guy of the point of where John Roberts does not want his court, the Roberts court, to be the court that does these really dramatic rulings that overturn major cases, for example, like Roe v. Wade or Casey. He just doesn't want his court to do it. So his point today was... It seems like there's only two pathways here, either overturning Roe or uh, saying that uh, Roe is the law of the land and essentially now affirming it, which has great power, obviously, because that's a third time, theoretically, the United States Supreme Court will have then in major case law affirmed abortion rights. So so 
the Chief Justice asked a point, is it, isn't there another area here, which is that why can't we just, can we just focus on the narrow question before us? Can a state ban abortions after 15 weeks? Now, once that is pointed out, you realize now it's a mic drop moment. Because it doesn't have to be as grand as the Supreme Court saying Roe v. Wade is overturned, which would actually be Casey's overturned. It doesn't have to be that, and it doesn't have to be the court coming back and saying, Casey's the law of the land, we hereby affirm Roe, we hereby affirm Casey, because half the country likes it, there you go. It could be very simply where the Supreme Court comes back and says, we agree with the state of Mississippi, they have a right to ban abortion after 15 weeks. Now, the argument that the the abortion lawyers used today was, well, then wouldn't it go to 10 weeks, and then 9 weeks, and then 7 weeks, and then eventually no weeks? Well, there was a great answer that was given by the conservative justices on this point, and that point was maybe. But doesn't that also seem like it would be something that would be incredibly contentious to reach a decision like that? And if that is the case, wouldn't that decision be best left to, say, the state Supreme Court, the state legislature versus this court right here? Which I think is also an incredibly powerful point. If tomorrow... The court rules in favor of Mississippi. It doesn't mean abortion is illegal in the United States of America. I, I, the left pretends like that's what it means. It doesn't mean that. They, they try to raise money off of that fact, and they're raising a lot of it because they're sending out emails and urgent action alerts and Planned Parenthood alerts and this and that and the other thing. They're going, the Supreme Court is poised to make abortion illegal in the United States of America. No, they're not. They're not doing that. Even if they side with the state of Mississippi, even if they overturn Roe and Casey, it doesn't mean abortion's illegal. It just means that it is not considered to be a federal constitutional right anymore. And you know where states are going to go on this. And this was also pointed out today in the oral arguments, I believe, by Justice Gorsuch. You know where Texas is going to go. You know where New York's going to go. You know where California is going to go. Isn't it a little dramatic to suggest that this would make it illegal? throughout the United States of America. And that's where, of course, you get into the politics of where the justices come out and go, yeah, but the, you can, I mean, some women can't afford to travel. They can't afford a bus ticket. Why should they have to travel to receive an essential constitutional service such as this? Anyway, that's kind of the argument in a nutshell today. And whatever your religious beliefs are, your philosophical beliefs are, I just fully, truly believe this has no place before the United States Supreme Court. It doesn't, because it's not in the Constitution. Now, you could argue, well, maybe, it, but doesn't it, though? Because doesn't the Supreme Court under the 14th Amendment, um, shouldn't it make abortion illegal? Because it's it's has a duty to respect all life. Well, they can't make it illegal because that's not the question before the court. That could be something, theoretically, that Congress could do. I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen here. Don't misunderstand me. But the question before the court is not whether or not abortion should be legal or illegal. See, this is where people also get confused a lot, and this is done because the media spins things and scares people and everything else. That's not the question the court's being asked to tackle today. If tomorrow the court turned around and said, we've decided Casey is terrible law, Rose even worse, horrible case law, terrible, terribly written, just like Plessy, just like Dred Scott, just like Korematsu, these are horrible decisions. We They're overturned. In fact, 9-0 unanimous ruling. We even got the lefties on board with this. They also agree it's terrible, terrible court decisions. What does that mean? Abortion is not illegal in the United States of America. 
It just means that states now have the ability to regulate it outside of the confines of what was laid down in the Casey decision and the line of viability and yada, yada, yada. That's all that means. So then, yes, if a state wants to ban it in their state, they they can do so. But do you really think that that's going to happen in all the states in the country? Of course not. So the argument, and the left knows that too, but the argument what they use then is to say that women will be trapped in Texas and will have no choice then but to get back out of the abortions and die, even though that really doesn't hold up to the test of what is called the undue burden test, which is something else that came up in the court case today. So the undue burden test, which is, does this, would this apply an undue burden on somebody who has an interest to terminate that pregnancy? So in other words, woman goes, she has a, she wants to terminate the pregnancy and the interest then lies from the state's perspective on ensuring that she can do that. The argument then of course goes back to what is the interest of that fetus at the moment, again, defined in the law at that moment as a fetus. What is the interest of the fetus at that moment? And the justices who were conservative made a great point in arguing, Hey, you know what? Uh, doesn't, doesn't that doesn't, you know, isn't there like a, an interest here that has to be protected as well? So when you think about an undue burden, aren't you also kind of un- placing an undue burden on the fetus by allowing it to be killed? Which is a great point. And, the, and since you can't balance those two things, then let the states figure it out. Don't make the federal government, don't make a court, a high court decide for everybody in the country. As they work out, as we the people work out these very complex legal, moral, philosophical, ethical, religious questions. So that's what I think in kind of a nutshell today. And I may have got some of the justices wrong in my summation. Sorry about that. The problem is, though, honestly, truly, I just it's it, it's I didn't have a chance because I was driving to write write it down. And when you're listening on the radio in the car, you don't have the ability. To, you know, there's no narration like on, on television. So but you get the sense of it. If I got Kagan, if I mistook Kagan with what's her name, Sotomayor, it doesn't really change the crux of the argument. The liberals were on one side. The conservatives were on another. It's going to be a divided decision. No, no doubt about it. It. Uh, and I thought Amy Coney Barrett did an, uh, did an excellent job, by the way, of pointing out to the importance of a abor- of a adoption in all this. As a adoptive parent myself, I admire her advocacy for adoption, and her points on that had something to do with 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 the concept of when you you essentially now sever ties, parental rights of a child, and and when that occurs under the law. Does that occur at the moment then that an abortion happens? It's a very important philosophical question that she was asking today. And what the left kept coming back to basically was, well, 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 Roe and Casey both acknowledge uh, adoption. And she goes, yeah, no, I understand that, but there's something called safe, safe harbor laws, right? So you've got, you've got these situations where people drop off babies and those babies have rights under the law. And so the, the state had to go the extra step of saying that if somebody does that, they've terminated their, their parental rights and they haven't abandoned a child. So then the question then becomes, at what point is it okay to sever those parental rights through the act of an abortion? It's a, it's, a, it's a really important philosophical point she raised as well. Let me play you a little bit of audio today. I know it's a little heavy, but obviously this is a landmark Supreme Court case. It might be the most controversial Supreme Court case uh, we ever discuss, at least this week. This is a little bit of what Justice Sotomayor warned of the political consequences here. Remember, like I told you earlier at the start of this, whether it was 
uh, Shooter or whether it was Sotomayor, the things that they kept coming, or Breyer, the things they kept coming back to were, they kept coming back to the notion of, but people like it. This is going to divide people. They're not going to like us anymore. They're not going to like us as a court if we do this, if we overturn this, if we allow Mississippi to get away with this. Hasn't been at issue in the last 30 years is the line that Casey drew of viability. There has been some difference of opinion with respect to undue burden, but the right of a woman to choose, the right of to control her own body, has been clearly set for uh, since Casey and never challenged. You want us to reject that line of viability and adopt something different. Fifteen justices over um, 50 years have, or I should say 30 since Casey, have reaffirmed that basic viability line. Four have said no, two of them members of this court, but 15 justices have said yes, of varying political backgrounds. Now... Um, the sponsors of this bill, the House bill in Mississippi, said we're doing it because we have new justices. The newest ban that Mississippi has put in place, the six-week ban, the Senate sponsor said we're doing it because we have new justices on the Supreme Court. Will this institution survive the stench that this creates? in the public perception that the Constitution and its reading are just political acts. I I, I don't see how it is possible. It's what Casey talked about when it talked about watershed decisions. Some of them, Brown versus Board of Education it mentioned, and this one have such an entrenched set of expectations in our society. But this is what the court decided. This is what we will follow. That the that we won't be able to survive if people believe that everything, including New York versus Sullivan, um, I could name any other set of rights, including the Second Amendment, by the way. There are many political people who believe the court erred in um, seeing this as a personal right as as opposed to a militia right. If people actually believe that it's all political, how will we survive? How will the court survive? Uh, Justice Sotomayor, I I think the concern about appearing political makes it absolutely imperative that the court reach a decision well-grounded in the Constitution, in text, structure, history, and tradition, and that carefully goes through the stare decisis factors we've laid out. No, it didn't. Casey went through every one of them. You think it did it wrong. That's your belief. But Casey did that. And you haven't added much to the discussion in your papers as to the errors that Casey made um, other than I disagree with Casey. Okay. So this is obviously a moment where you've got somebody saying, if we allow this Mississippi law to stand, 
Nobody will like us anymore. We'll lose all credibility. They'll shut down the court. They won't like, we're done. We're done. She also uh, essentially now today suggested that the only argument that the state of Mississippi can offer is uh, a religious view. And again, I've, I've left religion out of this and the conservative justices left it out of it. And Mississippi did as well. Their points were not about religion. And you have to leave religion out of it. And obviously when you're discussing secular law, you have to make your claims based on, on if you want to win, you got to make it based on science. You got to make it based on philosophy and you got to make it based on these things and the value of, of, of the, the worth of a life. And then the question of when that life under the law begins. And you don't have to even bring God into it. You just can bring in science because that's the issue before the court. The line of viability can change and it will change. Obviously, it can change. Whether you think God's behind that or not, it can change. And whether or not you think that, see, I, what I never understand, though, is that people who are all into the whole transgender thing, they say the sex you were assigned at birth. Now, I'm not, I'm, the word assigned is, is, that word has, there's an active component to it. I mean, somebody did the assigning, right? So who assigned it? Who? Did God assign it? Did God assign your gender? The, the, the sex you were born at birth, did, did God assign that or did somebody else? Was it a committee of people? Who was it? That's what I, I can't understand. Because if you acknowledge that, and this would be an interesting question under the law, if you acknowledge actually that some entity can assign you a sex at birth, doesn't that acknowledge then the evidence of a greater power that has the ability then to create life. And if that's the case then, because they have the, the ability to, to, to assign you a sex, then doesn't that then inherently give that life immediate protection under the law? Because, I mean, you've acknowledged some some somebody assigned that life a sex, which therefore then gives it viability in and of itself. That's one argument you can make. The other argument you can make is that the founding documents of the Constitution... If, if you again, if you want to bring in the 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 religious component of it, what you would do is you would bring in the idea that the founding documents of this country believe that we have inalienable rights from our Creator that government cannot take away. The problem with that, though, is the court believes that you can take those rights away, and that's one of the problems. Justice Amy Coney Barrett made an outstanding point today when she said. The idea of bodily autonomy, which is now a question that obviously the pro-abortion attorneys are bringing up, and she made the comment about vaccines and how in the context right now of what we're discussing in the United States of America, we have in one hand this argument before the court saying you have it's your body, you have the autonomy to make those decisions, and in fact, it's so incumbent and such an important and respected decision that the government should be on the side of you making it. Not only just allowing you to make it, but the government should be actively on your side to help you make it if you want to choose abortion. And Amy Coney Barrett, Justice Barrett's point was, what about bodily autonomy when we're discussing vaccines? And, and the idea that the government can force you to inject something into your body. It's a great point. Again, very difficult for the left will always try to tie themselves in knots to explain how they can justify that. And here's what they'll do. They'll say something in the effect of like, well, because the vaccine saves people's lives and abortion doesn't kill anybody. Well, 
Actually, it does. It kills. It absolutely does. The question, of course, of, of, of when the rights kick in to protect it from the state's perspective is what's before the court. But nobody doubts what is happening here. No, no, nobody's pretending otherwise. Anyway, it was a very, very great day. I, I love the philosophy of it. I love the law aspect of it, as you know. And I'm not an attorney and I'm not a philosopher, but I do just in, thoroughly enjoy the arguments. My prediction... I think the court's going to side with Mississippi. And I think you were going to have the first time in since Roe where the United States Supreme Court of America, uh, the United States is going to turn around and say that a state can, in fact, go outside of Roe and Casey and make these kind of determinations with regards to restrictions and viability issues outside of the confines of those two court cases, which would be phenomenal. Let's cut through the BS. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. Now, in other news today, Asanto Fauci announced today the first case of the nation's Omicron variant. Big deal. Why are we having a press conference about this? Why? Because it's another way that they can just have total and utter control over all of us. Secondly, by the way, I should also mention to you, today, Stacey Abrams announced she's running for governor of Georgia. In other news, Stacey Abrams just announced the election was stolen from her for governor of Georgia. Okay, here's Fauci from today. Now, the deuce, Peter Ducey, challenged him a little bit. This is very good here, this exchange about this new travel ban and now the new idea that anyone coming to the United States of America now must be tested for COVID-19. Here we go. This is important here. Dr. Fauci, as you advised the president about the possibility of new testing requirements for people coming into this country, does that include everybody? The answer is yes, because you know that the new uh, uh, the new uh, regulation, if you want to call it that, is that anybody and everybody who's coming into the country needs to get a test within 24 hours of getting on the plane to come here. Okay. All right. So that's part one of that. Everybody has to be tested. Part one, everybody has to be tested. Okay. Okay. But now here's the follow-up. And this is a very, very important point. Here we go. People who don't take a plane and just these border crossers coming in in huge numbers. That's a different issue. For example, when you talk, we still have Title 42 with regard to protection at the border. So there are protections at the border that you don't have the capability, as you know, of somebody getting on a plane, getting checked, looking at a passport. We don't have that there, but we can get some degree of mitigation okay so so again if you if you walk in you know there you go you just you just walk in it's a different issue it's okay but then what about you know the whole idea then that people just you know coming in big numbers and then you know think there's something to do to test these people somewhere else there no there, there is there is testing at the border under certain circumstances as you know in certain circumstances, you understand. In certain circumstances. Not all circumstances. This is really, really deadly. But not all circumstances. You're going to die, but we're not going to test everybody. Just many people. Got it? Okay, very good. Uh, here's the other thing, too, about uh, Santo Fauci today. They asked him today, they said, um, do you think it makes any sense, uh, your, your Royal Highness, do you think it makes any sense at all, uh, Santo Fauci? Uh, the question, of course, then being today, with these travel bans now, what justifies putting a travel ban on countries that have zero confirmed cases of Omicron, like Mozambique, for example? Fauci answered, that's a very good question, and then didn't answer the question. Now, here's what you got to realize right now, all right? Here's what you got to realize. If, 
I mean, I said this before, but these are African countries. The media, where is the whole question of whether or not Joe Biden thinks these are asshole countries and that's why he's banning people from coming here? There are not even any cases in these countries. And Joe Biden is banning people from Africa from coming here who live in those countries. It doesn't sound to me like it's very fair. Almost might sound to me like, I don't know, you know, a big white guy in the White House is just banning people who are from countries that are mostly black in Africa might, you know. Anyway, <clears throat> oh, the media, the hypocrisy, isn't it? The hypocrisy. Here, I'm not going to sign it. I'm just going to read it. Yeah, yeah I'm not going to read it. I'm going to sign it. What, what am I doing? Ah, give me the check. I'm, I'm going to sign it. All right. Here we go. Men title. Well, I'm not going to read it all. I'll just sign it. I'll just sign it. My resignation letter. I'm going to sign it. All right. All right. What is it? What, 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 what did I just do? I signed away our, our home title? Damn it, I should have got that home title log I heard about on that TV show. Come on, man. What did I... Uh, next time I'll... Next time I'll read it. I'll just... Uh, remember how I... <laughs> no, this is, this is, this is, I love this though. Stacey Abrams announcing she's running for governor and then a separate video announcing that she was just, the election was just stolen from her. Uh, will booster shots for fully vaccinated people become now the law of the land? That is the question. Will they require this now? Will this be a thing that you have to do? I think the answer to that is probably yes, because they love control, obviously, and Big Pharma loves to make sure that you have to take their stuff. No doubt about it. Well, what about in terms of the mandate? You have a vaccine mandate. Right. Uh, at what point does the booster become part of the mandate? Yeah, I can't answer that right now, but I know that for the time being, the official definition of fully vaccinated is two. But do you see that changing? We keep having these variants. It, it, We're concerned about them. It could change. It, it could, could change. change. It could change, yes. It could change. It, it could change, but uh, but it really just depends on my mood. I mean, here's a variant that hasn't killed anybody and is mostly mild around the world. But uh, but I'm making everybody believe you're all, you're all going to die. So it just really depends on on how I feel in the moment. You know, that's all. Just how I feel at, at that moment in time. Oh, so you know the Lesser Cuomo's out of a job, right? You know that the Lesser Cuomo's out of a job. We all know that. I told you yesterday. I was actually when I was filling in for Levin. I said. Uh, the great one, Mark Levin, I said, look, this is he is the walking embodiment of the problem right now in this country with the media and the fact that they exist to protect Democrats. He's the walking it, it, there's like an animatronic version of what I mean by the media exists to protect Democrats. Chris Cuomo was it posing as a journalist, using his ties as a journalist to get information to help his brother, the Democrat governor of New York. Here's what as our liberal um Wajahat Ali uh, put it when he was deciding now this incestuous nature between politicians and the media. CNN spokesperson has said that the documents raise serious questions about his involvement. Exactly what protection did he give his brother? I mean, this uh, shows you the kind of incestuous relationship between politics and media that we all should be concerned about, especially in the realm of journalism. Uh, you know, Chris is a nice guy. He used to be a CNN contributor, but he has the highest rated show on CNN, his weekly night show. And specifically, he used, according to the documents that were re released by the New York Attorney General, uh, his kind of clout, if you will, 
to work with uh, uh, Andrew Cuomo, his brother's aides, when it came to the defense, and specifically the defense uh, against sexual harassment, right? And so he talked about narrative and framing and media, and he, according to the documents, said, you know, you guys are doing this wrong. Let me help you. Uh, I have experience. And so it skirts this line, which I think is very clear, Holly. I think you might agree with me, is that you need to have a clear boundary here. If you are uh, uh, representing a news organization and you have an 8 p.m. primetime show, you cannot be also then consulting your brother who is uh, the governor and is also immersed in the sexual uh, uh, assault scandals and then use your clout and your experience and your contacts to kind of sway, if you will, but then say, oh, no, 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 but at least I'm not covering it on CNN. But that's what Democrats do all the time. They help each other and protect Democrats in the media. The media protects Democrats is what they do. It's not about politicians and the journalists. It's about Democrats and politicians. That's the reality of this. You just won't, you don't want to admit that the media is there to protect Democrats because you're one of them. You're a huge lefty. This guy is a huge, huge lefty saying all these things. Huge lefty. That's why he's saying these things. Uh, I, I, I would be remiss if I did not share this with you today. Uh, Rand Paul's response to what Asanto Fauci had to say today, the patron saint of lost bureaucrats. This is what Senator Rand Paul said in response to and Fauci's Senator comments. Senator Rand Paul joining us now, often a critic of, of the infectious disease expert. Uh, Senator, I don't know if you were able to listen to all of what Fauci just had to say there from the briefing room or any of it, um, but can you react to what you just heard about the Omicron variant and the confirmation of a, the first case discovered in California? There's a saying among people in medical school that when you're learning about what to do in an emergency situation, that before you take the pulse of the person you see laying still, take your own pulse. The, the meaning of this saying was not to freak out, to, to, to try to stay calm and try to make rational decisions before you freak out and do something you shouldn't do. First, do no harm. The same should happen here. We, we have something that is, is a new variant. It has many different mutations. It could be really, really bad or it could be really, really mild. We, we really don't know the truth of that yet. We do know that initial reports from South Africa are showing mild symptoms. We know that this patient had mild symptoms. And so Dr. Fauci's immediate response is, oh, the patient wasn't boosted, he should be boosted. Well, you'd want to know the science. Does the science of boosting help that patient? Did the patient get very sick? Did the patient need to be boosted? Mm-hmm. Does a booster actually prevent you from getting this new variant? There's a lot of things you don't know. Mm-hmm. But Fauci's immediate response is to tell people they must do something. Right. What we really right. ought to do is study this and see what happens over the next week or two and see what what, what becomes of this. I don't think a travel ban will work. It I didn't. don't think travel bans really He's almost right. ever work. If you're a remote island like New Zealand, you can kind of do it. But even in New Zealand, it didn't really work in the end. This is already in 12 countries. Now it's in California. I think that uh, the best thing to do is to find out how potent this is and then make rational, reasonable decisions, not by government, by every individual in America talking with their doctor and making their own individual decision. Uh, Dr. Paul, what but he always goes with with more rules, more more taking away freedom, right? It's what he does. It's what he does. He does it all the time, too. This is what Fauci does. Uh, to wrap this up today, I want to I do something uh, on behalf of my friend Johnny. So Johnny Cook, of course, who does the music, created the music for the podcast, tweeted out something earlier today. He said, 20 years ago, I went to a friend's son's Little League game. On the field were eight, uh, eight nine-year-olds played. Uh, one coach actually had a uniform. They won, and all the kids were jumping all over him as they went to the snack bar. It was heartwarming. I swear I know him. Who is he? Clarence Thomas. 
So on behalf of Johnny, I'm going to play for you a little bit of Clarence Thomas today questioning where in the Constitution the word abortion is written, which is an excellent textualist originalist argument and one that you can't argue with because it's not in the Constitution. So without further ado... General, would you specifically tell me, uh, uh, specifically uh, state what the right is? Is it specifically abortion? Is it uh, liberty? Is it autonomy? Is it privacy? The right is grounded in the liberty component of the 14th Amendment, Justice Thomas, but I think that it promotes interests in autonomy, bodily integrity, liberty, and equality. And I do think that it is specifically the right to abortion here, the right of a woman to be able to control without the state forcing her to continue a pregnancy, whether to carry that baby to term. I understand we're talking about abortion here. But what is confusing is that we, if, if we were talking about the Second Amendment, I know exactly what we're talking about. If we're talking about the Fourth Amendment, I know what we're talking about. Because it's written, it's there. What specifically is the right here that we're talking about? Well, Justice Thomas, I think that the court in those other contexts with respect to those other amendments has had to articulate what the text means and the bounds of the constitutional guarantees. And it's done so through a variety of different tests that implement First Amendment rights, Second Amendment rights, Fourth Amendment rights. So I don't think that there is anything unprecedented or anomalous about the right that the court articulated in Roe and Casey and the way that it implemented that right by defining the scope of the liberty interest by reference to viability and providing that that is the moment when the balance of interest tips and when the state can act to prohibit a woman from, from getting an abortion based on its interest in protecting the fetal life at that point. So the right specifically is abortion? It's the right of a woman prior to viability to control whether to continue with a pregnancy, yes. Thank you. General. And not in the Constitution, as the great Justice Clarence Thomas points out. Have a great rest of your day today. Thank you for listening. Really appreciate it. of the United States.